Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. One of the most important things for any professional is the ability to always step back and ask the question, why? And in order to answer that, you need to see, okay, how does this connect to the big picture? Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now, you've just heard from Thomas Gustafsson, who joins us this week on the show. And it's great to share Thomas's insights with you. He's, a, he's an incredibly resourceful and dynamic a finance executive with more than 20 years international finance and business experience gained on big brands like Ikea, Tetra Pak, Sedell and Oriflame. And another cool thing about Thomas is he actually hails from a very small set of islands off Finland's coast. So he was also very excited about being on a popular global finance podcast and hailing from such a small location, which if you want to know more about it, it's the Orland Islands and you can check it out on Wikipedia. Looks like an absolutely lovely place. However, on this episode, uh, Thomas does actually go through a few very important things with us. We have a very good conversation around the links between how we look at nature and Thomas's background in forestry, as well as better business partnering and how that links together. Also three tips on how we can better understand and see that bigger picture so we can see the wood from the trees. I also love the example Thomas shares about the importance of asking how much something costs of not having it. Looking at things the other way around, you know, when you get loads of requests for different reports and analysis, it helps uh, prioritize which ones we go at. And also a great discussion on the why and the duality of finance and accounting, which is what we've labeled this show. So look, really appreciate you tuning in today. If you do want to learn more about Thomas and connect with him, you can find ways to do that and more at sitnshow.com. And we always appreciate when you recommend the show to colleagues and friends on all the major platforms, iTunes, Citrus, SoundCloud, YouTube and Spotify. And that's enough for me. So without further ado, over to Thomas on the show. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on this show. It's a pleasure to, to have you on, Thomas. And uh, you're actually our first guest from Finland. So that's uh, that's nice to always have first on the show. We've been going for you know a couple hundred episodes now, so it's great to have another first. But summer audience might not necessarily be familiar with your journey in accounting and finance. So would you mind giving us a brief description of that journey? That I will do so. I, I will actually point out one small thing first, and that is yes, I'm very happy to be the first one from Finland. But I'm actually from the Åland Islands, which is a self-governed part of Finland. Ah, that's another first, I think, and that's <laughs> yes, that's definitely another first. <laughs> one almost only that you will have because we are just twenty-five thousand people on this island. That is amazing! Oh my god! And of course, we belong to Finland, but we usually tend to want to highlight that we are Finnish, but not really Finnish. So we are from these Orland Islands. But I, I put it to you then, Thomas. I mean, that is pretty amazing. You know, I, actually, some of our listeners, we actually have listeners in some countries. I know, I think the smallest we have is like 56,000 populated. I think it's like Greenland or something. But that's smaller still. So we might even get some listeners uh, there. But how did you get into accounting and finance, you know, where you were in those islands to where you are now? 
It, it's quite an interesting story, actually, because I have always been interested in nature and I have like biology and so on. I actually started studying forestry at the university. So my first education is actually a master's in forestry. But then towards the end of my studies, when I was getting closer to get my, my master's degree in forestry, actually the forest industry in Finland was in a huge downturn. And I felt that I need a backup plan. So I got into the university to study economics. And I ran through the economic studies in 15 months. It was a five-year program. I kind of sat down and I said, okay, how can I do this as fast as possible? And I built a week-by-week -week schedule for the next 15 months. And I run it through and I come up uh, with a second master's degree this time in economics. And that was where my professional career was going to be. So that was where I got my first assignments and my first job. Then I have never gone back to the forestry, which uh, <laughs> is a bit a pity in one way. But on the other hand, I have enjoyed myself in, in the economics. And my forestry master has been a good support in the background many times, especially as I have been working for companies like Tetra Pak, who is building the, the carton packages and, and the carton is there. And then it's under, good to understand how does the carton work, actually, what is the behavior of carton in different situations and so on. So, so I have had some benefits, but still, I have been in the economic side since my whole career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, I I suppose then it's just it's just interesting forestry because when I I sort of I have an interest in nature as well and I love um, actually in particular looking at trees because um, it reminds me a lot about business models and what we do in terms of supporting the business Thomas is that you could look at a tree and you could basically look at which way the branches are going to see okay where is the north south east and west direction because in where we part, live in the world sort of the northern hemisphere, the branches uh, will tend to progress towards the south because that's where the sun is most of the day as it's passing around. And then the roots perhaps might be on the other side of where the prevailing wind is coming from. And you might sort of see one side of the tree fairly more vertical and others more reaching out. And at different seasons, you've got different flowering, different leaves. And it sort of tells you a pattern of what's going on uh, throughout the year. And I suppose when we look at our businesses and finance, I just love the, the ability to, to sort of compare notes in terms of when you deconstruct things fairly well, you can get a, get a good appreciation of the cycles involved in business and the decisions we have to make, uh, just like a tree has to make decisions on where best to, to place itself to, to grow in the best way possible. Uh, we also have to help our businesses make decisions to help it grow in the best way possible. I just find that very fascinating. Did, I don't know, did you ever draw similar linkages between your forestry studies and your, and your work in the various brands you've worked with? Well, I think there, there is a very natural connection and, and that is when you look at a forest or nature in general, you can see, okay, here is the big picture. I look at it, it consists of a lot, a lot of, of different bits and pieces. I can still see it as an organism, as, as a total organism that, that works. Then I can see how everything interacts with each other and that is of course exactly the same as when you do business you are part of a total picture your company is part of a very big picture and your company is a picture that has different parts in it and everything interacts with everything and an action here will have impacts on other places and certain solutions and systems and processes and connections develop over time to become stable and and then you might change them sometimes so 
in one way you can say, well, it actually works in the same way. And it, it's bad, good sometimes to take that step back and say, well, this is actually how things are working. And this is actually how our company is working as well. It's, it's, you know, you just remind me an expression of a lot of us succumb to this is in business is, you know, not being able to see the wood for the trees. That, yep. that expression, I don't know if you come across it, but yep. <laughs> it's going with the forestry theme. Yep. You know, it, we sometimes get sucked into that. And I think that's something where we can add a lot of value, as you said, sort of stepping back and helping them see the bigger picture and, and how every each part relates with the other. Absolutely. And that's, that's, for me, one of the most important things for any professional is the ability to always step back and ask the question, why? And in order to answer that, you need to see, okay, how does this connect to the big picture? So you always need to go back to this big picture. You connect to this, does this make sense in this big picture? And I think that is very important in order to be a successful leader that you always go back to that. What is the big picture? Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's great advice for our finance listeners, Thomas. And I, I suppose it's, it's easy to say it, but as I said, a lot of us seem to get sucked in uh, to, to, to the details. Do you sort of have any techniques that you use to draw yourself back to what is the big picture here and avoid getting sucked in? Is there any sort of things you do? I think it is really to remember to stop and ask why. Why do I do this? Why do we do this? Why do we develop this? What's the purpose? What is it going to serve? And then you have to think about the big picture again and see how it, it connects. So I think the big and important thing is always to stop and ask why, because quite often we get, as you say, drawn into the what and how. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is really, and, and sometimes we jump to that directly. Oh, we jump. We, no, we, we, we just say, okay, yeah. we have to do this and we have to start to do, think about how will we do it? But then we should stop and say, but why do we do it? Because then we might realize that, well, we actually, we should maybe not do this or we should do it in a different way. And the how that we were thinking of is actually going to be 80% unnecessary if we really think about the why. So, so then we might be able to prioritize and really do the part of the how that supports the why. For me, it's quite simple, actually. It is really to remember to ask yourself why. I just, I'm smiling to myself here, Thomas, because, and probably some of our listeners are as well, when you just rush into something because we think, think we know the answer or the business thinks it knows the answer. And then when you sort of go through that 80% of unnecessary work, you realize the solution was quite simple. And I know you've worked at a number of well-known brands uh, throughout your career. You know, have you got a sort of any examples you could share to with our audience or even one example where, where you sort of avoided, how do you say, the inefficiency of not asking why first, I suppose, getting to the better answer first because you went through the why. I was working at Quantec. I took over the, the responsibility of building the business information management solution for Tetra Pak. We were actually in a situation where we had been working on the data and on the building of a, a data warehouse to basically collect all our data with the thought of that once we have collected it, we will, we will be able to use it for God knows what. And it didn't really work. It, we always stumbled into that we couldn't use the, the data for this reason or for that reason. And then we had to again be to redesign and, and add it and so on. But then we turned it around. When I started with this project, we actually turned it around and we said, well, let's not start from the data. Let's start from what is it that we need? Yeah. And then we said, well, so then it's actually not an IT project, it is actually a business project. That's great. And it's not yeah, a, a data project, 
it is actually a business information project. Yeah. So, so then we started to go out to the business owners and say, what is it that you need? And please define it down to narrow it down to a few drivers and a few variables, which are really important for you to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And then we took mm-hmm. it from there and said, and we give, we actually did go even further. We say, we even asked him, what format should we have this? What would be a good format for you to have this information? And once we had that, then we went backwards and say, okay, where do we find the data? Where do we find the information? Do we have the information that we need? Yeah. Something that is missing, is it the right format? Is it the right quality and so on and so forth? And then we build the business information solution based on that. And then it starts working and we start delivering information and uh, material that could be used by the business management directly and consistently and, and continuously. Mm-hmm. So that I think was, was really a, a situation where we were coming from a, a solution of what and how to saying, well, we actually have to start from why, and then we, we do the what and how. That, no, that's a really great example. I said, I really love the reframe because you're turning something that could be quite a, a meaningless data project to the, the wider organization to something that's a business uh, very important to the business and also i suppose when you do that not, not only does it lead to more meaningful work but you can actually probably start putting a value on and help prioritize is this is this the right project to be doing relative to other ones that you know the business is interested in as well and and, and get there by and i just find with these things uh, thomas i know i mentioned that value point there but yeah i got ringing in my head is Henry Ford saying, you know, if, if you ask people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses. Sometimes the business uh, may not know what it needs, um, but more often than not, it does. But I think I think the point comes back to value, right? It's got to be driving some sort of value. And I know we were talking off air about this, and this was some, something else that's very passionate uh, that, that you're about, is the two sort of purposes uh, or the duality of the role in finance. Would you mind sh- maybe sharing that with our audience? Yeah, it comes back to the why. And here we can ask the question, why do we exist? Why does the finance uh, department exist? And, and for me, there is two answers to that. One is that we need to make sure that we follow the statutory requirements, that we comply with the regulatory framework and, and we protect our assets from that way. And the other one is to drive the business and be a business partner and add value to the business. So these are basically the two whys. We have to comply and we have to add value to the business. So whatever we do, we should look into that this is either going to be used as decision support and and driving value to the business, or it is done in order to secure that our company is compliant and mm. fulfilling the regulatory framework. Yeah, and, I, agree, I, I agree, yeah. And as a finance function, we have always to, to, to balance these two. We have to be creative. We have to listen to the, the, the business and say, well, okay, what can we do here? What can we do differently? How can we present the facts? How can we structure our information? Uh, how can we operate uh, in order to, to add the most possible value to the business? And, and we get all the salespeople having the crazy ideas about what we should be doing. And we should say, yes, okay, let's see how we can do it. But then at the same time, remember that when we do this, we have to do it in a compliant way. So we have to try to balance these two. And it's difficult 
because <laughs> your personality is quite often the one or the other. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you are the, the creative bomb or you are the very structured uh, accountant, let's say, traditional accountant. But here you actually have to display both types of personality. You have to yeah. be the, the, the creative, but then you have to say, well, okay, but then we need to make sure that we are, are compliant at the same time. Yeah, it, it's funny, I was because I was smiling, because you see, you, you've done uh, loads of um, different roles, all the way from controlling, all the way up to, to vice president roles, Thomas, you know, and you've probably seen this a lot. Um, and I, I could, I could, I could appreciate what you're saying. The balance is tough, and you know, for some people, we're probably just one way or the other. We're either black or white, and some of us might be able to bridge the gap between both sides. When it comes to to leading the ideal finance team, like how do you go about getting that balance right within your teams? And there, of course, the, the benefit is the team, because uh, mm. in team, in a team, you you can have these different personalities. You don't need to have these two strengths in every person. And actually, it makes sense to build a team by, by different personalities so that you have the more business thinking people who are thinking about how can we link houses for business. And then you have the ones that are quite strict. Where I think it's important is that the leader have this open mindedness of being able to go from the both and recognize that both are very important. But when you build your team, I think it's good that you think about that, okay, it's very difficult to find a person that would have both. And it's actually maybe not even too optimal to have mm. persons that have both. Uh, in a team, mm. it's probably good to say, well, I have my strict financial mm. controller that will make sure and will always lift up the statutory part of it. And, and whenever we come with a business idea, he will bring up the statutory part of it. That, yeah, but remember this, remember that. And then you have the business people who are not limited maybe by the statutory thinking. So when you select people, Depending on the position, you really go for different kind of personality in your team. I mean, that's encouraging to hear. I, I hope more leaders are sort of taking approach like that, Thomas, out there. I suppose you might have some listeners thinking, well, you know, we're hearing a lot about the introduction of robotic process automation and um, even down like to, to assurance activities being done by by artificial intelligence now that i mean i i agree that's the way i'd love to see teams resourced up because you're playing to people's strengths but in this new world we're moving into do you sort of any thoughts where we should be you know will that duality continue to exist or will that duality change in terms of the type of work uh, people are doing i think we need to remember machine learning and well, artificial intelligence i don't think we should talk about yet but but I mean, let's say machine learning <laughs> and analytics is of course something that is very powerful and evol- evolving very quickly and, and will give us a lot of, of good tools but mm-hmm. there again it's there as well important to remember the why and yeah. I think also the, the interaction, yes. because yes, you can automatize a lot of controls. You can build detection systems and, and uh, with machine learning. You can also build reporting and you can build forecasting. But there as well, I think it's important to remember to ask the why. Why are we building it? And then we build it in the right way. Yes. And I think there is still the the owner of in organization, you still need the owner of the compliance or the statutory reporting, who is mm-hmm. speaking partner towards the business side, again, to ensure that we are doing the best for the business while being compliant at the same time. Because you need to connect these two as well, because otherwise you, the risk is that you 
you end up in, in something where the business control, uh, the business partner is living their own life detached from yes. the control environment. And then you might be in compliance anyway, because you have not connected the two. You're completely right. And I think that's the words of encouragement I'm really looking for audience, because uh, for me, I don't think you get to do the sort of the business partnering, those those interactions with the business without a strong uh, compliance and controls and governance environment safeguarding the company's assets and preserving them. So you need to get that right to go and be able to do the other piece because you're not because otherwise if you're not compliant. You're probably not optimizing everything, um, and even even down to setting, you know, I think businesses in the, in the future are going to need people who can set up good controls so so data flows well for decision making, so that we're looking at the right things, you know. And I think I think we're having this conversation off air about data, and is that is that um, an asset that that is, would we regard that as an asset class and as something to be safeguarded? I mean, I thought you had some very good points on that. I'd love love you to share them with with the audience. I mean. Um, you know, would you mind sharing your thoughts on that, Thomas? Data, of course, is, is an asset and it's a more valuable asset than, than ever. And it's becoming more valuable. And that means, of course, that we have to treat it as, as any other asset. We have to collect it. We have to recognize it. We have to, to see where the value is in the asset. But then, of course, we have to make sure that we, we protect it, that mm. we don't let it get stolen from us. We don't let it leak. And especially when we talk about personal data, which is, which is today a hot topic. We have, of course, to make sure that we treat it in the way that we, we uh, respect the privacy of the people, because that might be another reason of losing your data is that you break the, the privacy regulations. The, that is one way is that you might break the law, you might regulatorily lose your data. But then also you might totally lose your credibility if you build your business on personal data, which which many companies have to because you collect your customer information and and you work with your customers. But if you then treat your customer information badly and you let it leak out, you actually lose the confidence of the customers, not only that you break the law and, and might get the restrictions from that reason. That very much aligns with our, our sort of duality of purpose, I suppose, in finance. It's that, uh, you know, compliance and controllership piece and making sure it's safeguarded the data, but also getting value from it on the other side of the coin, perhaps. So, you know, it feels like we've got a good heritage to leverage to uh, to be very successful at, um, at safeguarding data as an asset and getting value from it. But you've probably got some listeners, particularly in larger organizations, say more mature IT functions. And uh, our listeners are probably thinking, yeah, that's all well and good, Thomas, so long as IT let me have access to the data <laughs> so yeah. we could get some value out of it. Um, you know, did, you know, like what are your thoughts on this ownership debate over, over who owns the data, you know, and who's responsible for it? Is it IT or finance? Like, what are your thoughts there? Well, the data owner for me is the business. I agree. Yeah. It, it might be finance, but it also might be HR, sales, or, or whoever. Completely. Because yeah. data is related to what we do. So if it comes to finance data, account structures, bank information, or, or so on, then of course it is the finance who has to define what data is it that we need? How do we collect it? How, where is the value in it? And who can access it? That's actually the finance that has to decide that. Then IT has to provide the solutions to execute what finance has said. That means to, to build solutions that can give access to the people that should have access and protect the data that is in the system 
so that it doesn't leak out or somebody steals it and so on and so forth. So, yeah. so I think here, and, and this applies again, it's not unique for the data. I think it is the way we operate a company again. Everything starts from the business. The, why, again, I'm back to the why again. <laughs> the, the business needs, what do we need to do in order to add value to the business? And then we define that, we develop that, we improve that, and then we have data analytics, we have IT, uh, we have uh, the whole system side that is uh, enabling this and creating analytics, uh, creating solutions and so on that delivers on the business need that we have defined. And for me, that applies to the data and to, as to any other business topics, products or, or, or product design or development or whatever. Completely right. I, I, see, I see that thing. And I think um, rather than our listeners getting frustrated with this, I think you, you unlocked, you helped, you know, unlock the key to getting the data, the relevant data as well. You know, some data is just not relevant. In fact, probably most data probably isn't relevant. But getting access to the relevant data to make the business decisions, it's owned by the data. Uh, the business owns the data. Yeah. So if you're struggling to get access, you've got a good business case, it's driven by business need, IT will, will share and put the tools in place for you to access it. That's, that will always have to happen. Otherwise, there is no business. This triggers me actually on another, another topic, and, and this is that's the data really. <laughs> because, and it's coming back a little bit to, to what we said before about data analytics and machine learning and the role of, as business partner of finance, which, which mm. I think is, is now becoming more important than ever, because oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of people that, that seems to think that artificial intelligence, machine learning, data analytics is a magical tool that will solve <laughs> our, all our problems. Oh yeah, magic and, wand, yeah, uh, magic tool. And there you are a little bit back to the example that I took before about business information management, that if you do your work data-centric, then you will spend a lot of time analyzing and cleansing data that you will never use. Exactly. But there again, you need to start from the business. And when you look at the finance information, finance again have a super important role as the business partner who are liasing and integrating into the business and saying, okay, what is it that we need from a business perspective? Where is it that we need to dig into the data mm. in order to add more value to the business? And how do we should we extend the data or expand the data in order for it to talk to the business manager? And then we need, of course, to distill that data into something that the business that speaks to the business management and that, that they really pragmatically and practically on an everyday basis can use for decision making. And then they build our data analytics and machine learning on this, and we can get huge value of it, but then we really focus on the area of the data that is going to add value for us, which is probably 20% of the data or less. And, and the more the data increases and the availability of information increases, the bigger the risk is that we start spending our time on just doing the analysis. And and, oh, well. and and playing with the data and, and, uh, yeah. and so on, rather than remembering exactly. that it should add value to the business. Exactly. And I do think that's where there's partnering opportunities for IT and finance together to have specialists on that data side of things, engineering the data, wrangling it in the right way. But it's it's restricting what we're doing to just what's relevant to make the right business decision. Like for me, and, and I think we're guilty of this too in, in finance, Thomas, variance analysis, great concept. When it came around in the early 1900s from a budgeting perspective, a useful way of thinking about things. But but nowadays, is is our variances against budgets and performance plans and forecasts? You know, given the world we're in, 
you know, is that the best use of our time uh, when we could be out there working on more relevant uh, operational type decisions or strategic decisions with the business? I don't know. I always wonder about that. You know, is there any sort of particular area of analytics you found quite useful in your experience that? Back to the starting point of this discussion, and that's the not seeing the forest because of the trees. <laughs> Here with the data, I think that applies very, very strongly. That, that, and in finance, of course, I mean, we have started to work. Most of the people in finance have started to, to work with that because we are analytical and we yes. like to yeah. find relationships in the information. <laughs> I mean, we can spend days and years. Oh. Just because it's fun to find the different logics and the connections and why is this connected to this and that. And we can very easily, and quite often we do that actually in finance, we get lost in our own, I would say, interest in one way of that everything should be explainable. And we might spend a lot of time in explaining how everything is connected. But forgetting again, that's actually not adding value. It's adding value only when it leads to a business decision. So again, coming back to saying, okay, why are we doing this? How should we do it? Are we really working on the right thing? And, and I think it's very easy for us in finance because, again, we love analytics and logical explanations. So it's very easy for us to get lost in, in that. And, and again, we need to take the step back and say, but I love how you've, you've tied it all back to the start of your career uh, in forestry, <laughs> forestry <laughs> masters. So I know I just love that. It's got like full circle. So that's, um, that's also, I think, I think our, our audience now have definitely got the message. It's the why and being able to see the wood for the trees. So um, no, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Thomas, for great advice there. I do want to ask you though, you know, what has been the best bit of advice you've ever received? I don't know an advice, but a statement that came was uh, when I was working in one of the companies. Uh, I mean, my guideline has always been that, that we should try to do it, think as simple as possible. And wherever I end up, I, I end up simplifying things. And then at one stage, my boss was telling me that, yes, we should make everything as simple as possible, but not simpler. Mm-hmm. And I think this was a, a good part of advice, because I think, again, we should always try to make things as simple and straightforward as possible but we need also to be careful not to be lazy and make it so to say too simple it has to be good enough but as simple as possible i I think that's good because there's that again risk of just increasingly standardizing things to the point of um, oversimplifying and then uh, what's that expression? The baby gets thrown out in the bathwater. The true essence of the why probably gets lost. So I think it's if you, if you're applying that filter of why all the time, that should prevent us getting getting too simple. Yeah, a little bit back to this dual role of yes. as well. That yes. that yes, from a business perspective, we should try to make the information as simple as possible. But on the other hand, we have to make sure that it is uh, complying with the complex regulations and so on that is is existing. So we cannot yeah. simplify things that is necessary for the regulatory requirements. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, you just reminded me, I just, I, I don't know how much it applies, but like, imagine you've got a statement and you're reading a statement saying revenue is up 10%, right? And, um, and you, when you're reading it, you've got like a space between each of the words. If you took those spaces away, cause you're simplifying it, right? Uh-huh. That sentence becomes just a long list of letters. And it's just like, that's not going to make any sense to anyone. You know, you've oversimplified it. Yeah. So it's like, get, you know, it comes back to that duality where you were saying, right? It's like, you got to make sure to sell value in what you're doing, but not oversimplifying it with too much uh, adherence to compliance and eliminating unnecessary spaces. 
the spaces are necessary. And it's a question, as I said, again, the balance. We should make it, we should remember that we try to make it as simple as possible. Because again, we have a tendency to make things complex. Uh, <laughs> we should try to make things as simple as possible, but still comply. comply. But then again, also think the other way around, that we should not say, well, we have to comply, so, so we have to do this, 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 and that. We can also challenge it, okay, do we really need to do this to comply? Or do we comply actually with less as well? That's, that's great points, Thomas. And I suppose uh, our audience might, might also be interested in understanding, do you have any like, uh, recommended resources or books that you think they should check out? There, there is actually a book that I have been reading recently, and it's not related to finance or leadership or anything, but it's a Sapiens, A Brief History of Home oh. by yes. Yuval Noah Harris. It's, it's a great book, but it'll take a bit of time to, to work your way through it, right? But what a book. Uh, why would you recommend it? Well, I think it gives you the perspective and it, it gives, it has a lot of, it opens a lot of ideas and insights actually about how humans are working and thinking because the long history is actually, there is a lot of things that is telling us, okay, this is actually how we work and how mm -hmm. our mind is working. It, it's not something that has been created the last 10 or 15 years. It is something <laughs> that has been created over, over millions of years. And I think he, he manages to, to bring that through in a fairly easy to read way. I mean, as you say, I mean, there's a certain work to get through it, but it's still a fairly easy, easy read. And, and I think especially this for his first book, The Sapiens, uh, The Brief History of Humankind, I think that actually contains the most of, of this. I think the two later books, I, I read those two as well, but but there, I think it, it, it's more building on the same. I think this first book, if I recommend something, I, I, it is really to read this first book. Yeah, it does. But there's just so much in there that that's like you'll be say you'll be saying to yourself afterwards, "Oh, I, I didn't that makes sense," or "Oh, I didn't realize that." And that's why we do things that way. You know, I've definitely shared some of the points in that on the Monday memos that we've done. Just a, a great book. So highly recommend our audience go check that out. And we put the links to it in the show notes as well. And uh, Thomas, if if any of our audience wish to continue the conversation, uh, where's the best place to connect with you at? Uh, LinkedIn. It's, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, I'm happy to for anybody to connect with me, with me that way. Awesome. So I'll update the show notes there, Thomas. And I suppose, look, uh, you, you know, what a great uh, conversation you're taking us through from your, your start uh, from, from the islands all the way through to, to doing the economics, getting into finance, accounting, uh, understanding our why, the duality and the balance act that we have to play in finance and also some tips around data in the future. Would you perhaps have any other parting thoughts for our audience? I would say in finance, remember always to be curious and open minded. I think that's really a key to be adding value in our position is, is always to be curious about what's going on, uh, what's going on in the different departments, what's going on outside the company, what's going on. I think that is a value that, that we should allow us to spend time on actually is to be curious and, and open-minded about, about uh, what's happening around us and what impacts that might have and how that impacts our work in the finance department and, and adapt to that while not losing track of what is our opinion and what is our view. I think that is kind of the essence for me on, on, on how to work in a, in a finance department and, and develop as a, as, a, as a finance person. Oh, that's, that's brilliant advice, Thomas. So thank you so much for, for sharing that and investing your time in coming on Strength in the Numbers today. Thank you very much for allowing me to be on the show. I have really enjoyed it. And I hope that my thoughts have been, will be of some use for some of the listeners. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. 
If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. (laughs) 